I look at it from a campaign perspective, like you're going to make a campaign work much better if you run it programmatically. And that was the light bulb moment really, uh, where me and Lee got together and said, let's build a programmatic company. So the value of the trader in that chain to hit the goal for the client is really big, actually. And that's why we were very much um, keen to keep ourselves as a managed service business. The people part of the tech, data, media, and people work is a really critical part. And people who think programmatic is about you push the button and the tech does all the work. That's not how you deliver the best outcome for a client. Hello, and welcome to season two, episode nine of the AdPod. Today, I'm joined by Gorman Handel, the co-founder and exec chairman at MIQ. And we're going to be talking about managed services. Managed services are a very interesting sub-segment of the industry. They kind of evolved out of the ad network days from the sort of early and late noughties. But now they offer so much more and they provide a lot of value to agencies and brands in particular. MIQ, which Gorman co-founded, just had a private equity event for rumoured around $1 billion. So he is definitely the best placed person I can think of to talk around how managed services differentiate what the future of managed services are and what makes them so successful. So I know that I really enjoyed this chat and I'm sure you will too. So without further ado, hope you enjoy season two, episode nine of the ad pod. Hey Gorman, welcome to the ad pod. How are you doing? I'm well, yeah. Thanks for having me, Gwen. No, thank you. Thank you for coming on. I mean, MIQ has been in the news a bit recently around the deal that you've done with Bridgepoint. So congratulations to, to you and the team on that. Excited to kind of get into uh, the evolution of MIQ in particular a bit later. Um, but before we do, um, one of the things we always like to, like to start with is you know, your background. So I'd love to know, like, prior to MIQ, what you did, and then also, you know, what you do now. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Was, um yeah, I mean, look, so, um, yeah, I grew up in Hertfordshire, lived down from Letchworth, um, and, um, you know, same as everyone, went to school, did university. Um, my, uh, the way I got into the industry was I did one of these uni courses where uh, in the third year you had to find a 12-month placement, yeah, and it was, uh, I always remember I was about to work for the HR department of the government's audit commission, and then I got a job offer from uh, 15 people at online ad network called Adlink. And I kind of took that job instead of the government job. And I was remember like that life could have been a bit, bit different if I didn't do that. Um, so I sort of got into the industry in my sort of third year of uni, I was about 19. Um, and I was doing a bit more of the um the operational side, ad ops, etc., a bit of publisher management. Um that's like that's where I met Lee, who's Lee Puri, who's uh, now my business partner. Um, Lee was more on the sales side. Um, you know, uh, went back to uni, went traveling, sort of come back, and I uh, just caught up with Lee, and he was like, come work with myself. And, you know, I actually joined this, his sales team. He was running the sales team then. Um, and then we kind of actually created a product within that company, Adlink, uh, more of a performance ad product, really to compete with the, what then was 
companies like advertising.com or media brokers who became Drive PM, uh, specific media, uh, these companies. Adlib was more of a sort of rep auto trader timeout, sold site specific stuff. And we were like, the, with their unsold inventory, let's, let's build a performance solution. Um, and that's kind of, you know, uh, he then went off to do that same thing for Unanimous and then we competed for a few years. And then I kind of just really set up performance products for ad networks. So first it was AdLink and then the DMGT, Daily Mail General Trust Group, almost had an internal ad network of all the publishers they own. We ended up branding it any media. Uh, but again, it was, you know, a, a, a uh, sort of performance solution that was competing with performance ad networks like advertising.com, 5pm, um, et cetera. My background was always more on the trading and how to set up uh, campaigns and deliver good campaigns. That was my personal uh, background. Um, and I remained good friends with Lee. We got together. I remember I went to New York in 2009. Met, uh, I remember having a meeting with a guy, Ben Barakas, who started a company called AdMail. And he just whiteboarded this thing called programmatic advertising, DSP to SSP. And I was like, oh, this thing could, if this is true, this is going to, I looked at it from a campaign perspective. Like, you're going to make a campaign work much better if you run it programmatically. And that was the light bulb moment, really, uh, where me and Lee got together and said, let's build a programmatic company, um, starting from the UK. That's amazing. I was getting so many good flashbacks when you're throwing out the names like Specific and Media Brokers, NMY, and uh, yeah, the evolution of all those companies. Uh, and then, yeah, fascinating to some no longer exist, have evolved, some still exist. Um, and it is interesting because sometimes when people think about managed service, which we're talking about today, they do think about ad networks. And mm. I'm interested to get your perspective, like, how do you define a managed service? Yeah, like for me, a managed service programmatic company, which I go MIQ is, is, is a company that actually trades the campaign on the DSPs on behalf of the agency or advertiser, right? And what do we mean by trade? It's like they decide what the targeting is, they decide what the bidding strategies is, they decide what algorithms to use or not to use, um, and they set up that campaign and optimize that through a combination of algorithms and uh, through their own instincts um, to hit whatever outcome the client wants to hit. Right? And so it's very much the driver in the seat um, uh, versus a sort of self-serve, which I would say is your sort of licensing tools to the person who's driving that campaign. And so why did, what are kind of the, the primary reasons a managed service exists. And I asked that because you know, my background was agencies creating agency teams and now advising clients, sometimes in-house solutions. Yeah, managed services still have, you know, this huge value they add. So kind of really interesting to know, like, why do they continue to exist? And obviously, in, you know, in your case, thrive and do exceptionally well. Okay, look, it, it always boils down to, and this hasn't changed for decades, right? A client spends X amount of money and wants Y outcomes from their campaign. Right? And for me, that desire for a client of just wanting the results that they're measuring their, their ad dollars against hasn't changed. You know, it might be like the measurement technique or, uh, you know, lots of the how has changed but on a macro level is that they want a return on investment for their spend. And really, for me, I've always felt that 
to deliver the best value for an advertiser, it's the combination of 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 the the, date, the technology, the data, the media you buy on, and the people, right? Who, who are making that decision and doing that together. And I've always actually thought, certainly if I look at a trader in the ecosystem, I think when you think of like, okay, company X is going to spend a hundred million dollars on marketing, right? They start by doing their research of what their audience is and who they should go after and et cetera like that. Then it goes to very senior people from the agency who then try and find what's the right um, uh, sort of delivery strategy in a sense now, what's the right media mix, um, channel mix, et cetera. Um, and then there's a negotiation around how much is going to which supplier. What's what. But really, once it gets to the trader's desk, ultimately, they're, they're, once the campaign's live in particular, they're kind of making the calls on, okay, actually, that's not working, hitting that audience. Even if the research said it was, it's not working. This audience is working. I'm going to actually distribute more budget there. So the value of the trader in that chain to hit the goal for the client is really big, actually. And that's why we were very much um, keen to keep ourselves as a managed service business, because we thought if we deliver great outcomes for advertisers, then we're going to keep getting demand that comes our way. And, you know, the num there's two stats that are the most important stats at MIQ. It's retention of clients and retention of talent. And we've still, even 2,500 advertisers across 700 different agency relationships have a 90% plus retention rate of clients, right? And actually that's driven by nearly an 85% retention rate of talent, right? Because the talent are the one driving that. So for me, the managed services for me was around, you know, the people part of the tech data media and people work is a really critical part. And people who think programmatic is about you push the button and the tech does all the work. That's not how you deliver the best outcome for a client. That's a part of it, but it's not the, 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 the whole of it. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. And you know you think about the, the managed service space you, know, you spoke about all those companies some have been and gone already very competitive you know you're fighting over like certain parts of the media plan and there's only certain certain amount of budgets that any one advertiser has so do you think then and everyone will position themselves in different ways whether it's like ai or data unique inventory whatever it might be what's kind of the, the miq differentiation like what's is, is it the as you were saying is it the people is it uh, the packaging, like how, how do you think you differentiate the best? Yeah, yeah. So you sound like I'm in the sales pitch now, right? But um, <laughs> yeah, I'll say there's there's always three things to why I think we make uh, we drive better outcomes on a campaign than than other people. Um, the first thing is I think we take a very agnostic approach to supply in terms of tech, data, and media. So you know we are not um, building. We're never have any desire to have our own DSP, right? We never have any desire to own any of our own data. And we have never, we don't have any desire to own any of our own media or content where the ads are displayed. Our view is, is that it's such a fast changing industry. There's new platforms coming on the scene all the time. There's new data sources that are there to be leveraged. Um, and there's always new media outlets taking ads, right? You've got Netflix now as a media outlet taking ads, right? And the reality is being agnostic allows you to access the biggest pool of opportunities for your clients. Um, 
and, and having that approach to say, well, look, yeah, everyone can get relationships and contracts with all these various different suppliers. But for us, it's a big point of difference is that we remained agnostic. We didn't get tempted to build our own DSP, tempted to own a data asset that was great one year, but then two years later, something else came out and was better for a client. So it became redundant. And we didn't need to own any of the media outlets. You know, That's what programmatic, and then for, for me, when I look back at 2009, learning about programmatic, like, it's actually uh, democratizing the whole industry. It's making it completely accessible for everyone. You've got walled gardens now, like you can only get certain content or certain data through certain tech platforms, but that's fine. Just work with them and, and them all. So the first reason I think we're different is we stay partner agnostic, which enables us to just deliver whatever combination of tech data media it takes to hit the client's outcome. The second thing I do think is a big point of difference for MIQ is, you know, one year into MIQ, we launched a company in India, in Bengaluru in India. It's now our biggest office, nearly over 350 people. And we sort of built three platforms um, there. They're all internal. We don't sell any tech or sell platforms. The customer of these platforms is just the MIQ salesperson, trader, account manager. Um, and these three platforms basically enable us to, if we're working with all these supplies, connect them all together. So you can know that like, uh, if IIS are telling you the ad was viewable, uh, you want uh, Vizio to tell you that the person who saw that ad also watched two McDonald's ads yesterday on TV, with you want um, the weather uh, online feed to tell you when the person saw the ad, it was 80 degrees outside, clear blue skies and sunshine. So these are all disparate data sets. So we have one platform called Studio that connects, but more importantly, enables all these different tech, data, and media providers to talk to each other. We have a tool called Hub, which enables our traders just to go in and plan. So we might be picking up data from a client before a campaign goes live, but then we can understand what is those users doing when they're surfing the web. And so we're, we call it day zero optimization. We've run that against a planning tool, and also our clients can log in for insights. And then my favorite tool is a tool called Trader Lab, which is just for MIQ traders. Um, and it enables, it does two things for MIQ traders. It automates um, a lot of um, the, the operation of running things. So if you're running things in multiple DSPs or multiple uh, data sources you're using, you're not having to log into each one to understand what your costs are. And that it automates all of that, sits on top of all of that, but also allows you to do differentiated commands. So we can push in algorithms, say, into the trade desk that probably the trade desk can't do themselves because we've built some functionality on top of that. And Lab is a tool that enables our traders to do differentiated targeting on, uh, on DSPs that you couldn't do if you logged into the DSP directly. And I think those things give the third point of difference, which I would say is our people, that edge. It's like, why can someone who's running the same campaign on the same platform um, work better at MIQ is because they've got more partnerships, they've got tools to make them use uh, those suppliers better. And then I just think our people proposition around how we try to over deliver for our people, all the initiatives we have are, are, are you know, make people stay. And, and, and the ultimate judgment of both of them is did the client stay, did the talent stay? That's why those two stats for me, more important than where our revenue is, where our EBITDA is, it's lost the retention of clients, lost the retention of talent. That's awesome. And I, I just find it so fascinating how how you do differentiate. And I think um one of the things that we've seen, I guess, in the when you first started out, it was 
IO based buying will give you X amount of money, go deliver X, uh, Y results. And now we've got, you know, we've seen sort of advertisers and agencies adopt different models where maybe they want um, less of an IO, more like ad hoc technology builds or maybe people in the offices or whatever it might be. So interested to know how have you evolved the offering from sort of IO based buying and outcome based to quite integrated with your partners. How's that kind of taken shape? Yeah, that, that's very much been a part of our service to clients. You know, we, we sort of say, look, if you're a partner of MIQ and, you know, we're running a lot of programmatic campaigns for you, there's additional services you can take advantage of here that can hit any goals or objectives you have that aren't linked to just the running of an ad campaign. So for some agencies, it's like they use our, um, our hub tool to do general planning and buying, you know. Um, some of our agencies use our hub tool to plan and buy linear TV because they've not, they didn't want to do the tens of millions of dollars of investment we have done in ACR data. But we're like, well, we've done it. So you can have this tool and you can use that to plan and buy your linear TV, but we'll leverage that data to tell you what to buy on CTV, for example. We can execute that for you. Um, some people need resources, you know, um, and we're very much like a partner of agencies. You know, it's very much like, uh, we see agencies add a lot of value in the ecosystem. Um, and what we've seen is like if we run great campaigns, but also have these additional where well, they're analytical tech tool services that we can offer agencies, it helps their business as an agency ultimately function better. And, and they see us as more of an integrated partner with them versus just another line item on the campaign, basically. Yeah, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. The the partnership side of things and uh, particularly for agencies, you know, who are oh, well, and advertisers, everyone's pretty time poor. You need to have good people at the end of the phone or email to help you deliver what you need to deliver and should be reasonably frictionless and, and, and helpful. And it kind of leads to my next question, actually, is how do you how do you sort of support brands directly versus supporting agencies? Like, is there much of a difference? Like, how do you go about sort of providing partnerships to both of those? Yeah, so it's interesting that, that that's been an area that's really grown in MIQ, I'd say, in the last four to five years. Um, firstly, we're very much, majority of our business is working through agencies, and we never um, actually compete with an agency on any sort of advertiser, but there are a lot of advertisers who want to take more control. They hire the likes of uh, your business, basically, to say, all right, how can we take a little bit more control? And when you say in-housing, what we find what in-housing actually means is there's a section of clients or a segment of clients who say, actually, I don't want to work with an agency anymore. I want to hire people that work at an agency to almost build my in-house agency for my own brand. And I want them to do the planning, the buying, own all the, maybe some of the tech or data contracts um, directly. Uh, but I, in terms of the execution, I still want to use suppliers to actually execute, optimize the campaigns and, and things like that. We don't really see many in-house clients actually hire traders, put them behind a DSPC and actually trade their campaigns. I'd probably say we only see maybe 20% of in-houses do that, whereas we see 80% of in-houses, which is what I'd call in-house agency function, basically. Um, and there, the, the service we offer is very similar to what we do with an agency. Ultimately, we're a supplier, hit the outcome on that campaign. But we only really work with those brands who've already made the decision that they're hiring their own internal agency team and not working with an agency. 
So we're, we're quite reactive to that part of the market. I know when I was agency side and you'd have partners and suppliers working directly with your clients or prospective clients, how do you sort of balance that where you might have an agency group has one part of the client and you're working directly with them on another, but you've got wider agreements. Like how do you sort of negotiate, sort of navigate those conversations? We don't have any relationships that I can think of. Maybe we might be quite big now, so I might be on top of it all, but it's certainly nothing meaningful where we work with a client directly and through an agency. It doesn't work. We either work with a brand who's not working with any agency or we work with a brand via through an agency. Now, a lot of the time, uh, the agencies are like, actually, we'd like you to take part in helping us service that brand. So we've got a QBR coming up. We're giving two hours to MIQ. Can you come in the room and you know meet the client directly? And actually, all those insights that you give us that we love, just actually would prefer you just to tell the clients those directly. We have a lot of our partnerships with agencies where they they, they leverage us from time to time, and we have a connection with clients. But we don't we don't um, have any that I can think of relationships where we have certain deals go through the client directly, and certain deals go through the agencies. We we only really work with the clients directly who have made the strategic decision to in-house. And again, we define in-housing as creating an in-house agency versus an in-house trading team to, to run programmatic campaigns. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I ask because I, sometimes you, I can see other companies like, well, we're not getting in the door with this holding company. So let's find out who the client list is and go around them, go directly. Um, yeah. I don't think, that, I don't think that, you can't be a trusted partner if you're doing that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, it's worse. We even see it on consultancy where we'll be working with a client, and then a partner might not get through on a review process. They sort of go around us, and you'd be like, "Doesn't feel like the greatest strategy long term." But, <laughs> but yeah, I guess companies add a ton of value in the ecosystem. Yeah, and and they're they're needed, and you know, we see them as a big big part of. Well, then, you know, we've been growing our agency business quarter on quarter for 12 years now. We don't see that changing for the next 10, 20 years. That's awesome. Um, I just want to move on because, yeah, MIQ, I knew because I met Lee when he just started. He was selling me the proposition back in the day. And uh, you are, you know, a very new business, smallest team. And now you've got hundreds of people around the world. You're in many, many offices. Um, and it's been incredible to see that in such a short space of time. Um, how does the perception of what you offer differ around the world? I, I ask. I saw in the um, in the recent news around your deal. You, I think it was like two thirds of the revenues in the US. And I mean, of course, the US has got you know a population advantage, <laughs> like which helps them economically. But um, how do you think the perception of what you know, managed services in general at MIQ differs around the world? Um, I think there, like, I wouldn't say there's a, a massive difference. Again, it goes back to, like, you know, it's not that complex. An advertiser makes a decision to spend some money to run an ad campaign to get a defined outcome. That's not different anywhere else in the world. There might be, like, a slightly different way they track the outcome, or but the macro thing is exactly the same. And MIQ is seen as a... a um, uh, as a partner to help them deliver that, right? And that that isn't really changing. There's certain nuances, like I'd say in the US, 
you know, clients have a lot more data when you get data from clients in the US. It's, it's hard. If you work with Amex in the UK and you work with Amex in the US, you're going to get a lot more records of data from Amex in the US. And that's going to make your algorithms work better, et cetera, like that. There is an advantage of not just scale of people, money in the US, just scale of actual data, um, I'd say, in the US, which makes programmatic work better, um, I think. Um, um, or certainly the planning side uh, uh, work better. Um, but I would say, you know, around the world, I don't see major, major sort of macro differences. I see very nuanced differences. You know, some countries where there's more of a concentration in one city, you know, then there might be different trading dynamics to say in America, where you know, we have offices now in 16, 17 cities just in America, you know, where the, there's a bit more fragmentation there. Um, and, and, you know, you might see, you know, an agency act very differently from Chicago to New York to how the Atlanta, and they're the same agency, you know, that little bit. Um, Australia, we see that a little bit as well. Um, um, but generally, it's places like the UK and Canada, it's kind of, you know, Toronto, London is the sort of centre of where most of the spend of that market comes from. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I know when I sort of moved over here and I was consulting for a few clients and I looked at some of their media plans, they had a lot of partners on plans. They sort of rotate in and out more. Uh, whereas I think in the UK, there was a real effort to consolidate and to double down on partnerships. And so I, I completely agree with you. I don't think the perception's different, but maybe the, the scale, like the, how you can do like a fair test here in the US by splitting out your data is different than in other countries. So uh, yeah, I find that kind of interesting. And I was also listening to the podcast you did with James at the IAB UK, and you spoke about your experience in moving to the US. I'd love to, I think maybe I've got some bias here <laughs> moving to the US myself, but interested to know like when you are opening in new countries or trying to grow your business, um, what kind of the, the, the challenges you faced in like getting adopted because you I mean you're so well known in the UK so when you come to new markets how do you kind of approach that uh yeah I think look it's it's you can't be um gotta be very humble and not be arrogant like you know if you're doing well in one market if you, and you go to a new market there you, you know it gives you a little bit of credibility but unless you've proven to them you know for that client in that country then you know you're an untested partner regardless of what you're doing in the rest of the world. So then it's kind of like just starting again, like, you know, like you've got to hire, I always say commercially, you should hire local people who have got almost credibility themselves that you're buying into, that, you know, that, that they have got trusted relationships with certain clients or certain buyers that they will give them a chance. And then for us, then it's the product's got to deliver, right? And, and that's where I think we're just, Again, but whether like this, whether we're day one in a market or you know day infinity, is we're obsessed by making sure our outcome is better than anyone else's outcome. And if you're delivering, then that's how you stay. Yeah, yeah. Without consistent market leading execution, which is and in our industry, certainly programming, it's very easy to measure that. You can't fake that once you get in the door and you've gone through the PowerPoint slides and you've had a conversation, it really does come down to the execution. Like, can you do what you say you can do? And, uh, yeah, I guess that's a, a huge part of it. Um, 
conscious of time, um, my sort of second to last question is, what do you see the future of managed services? I, I feel like they've um, faced some headwinds historically through agency trading desks, trying to do it themselves, brands in housing, but you know, weathered those storms and have been coming through the other side pretty successfully in a few cases. What do you see for the next five to 10 years looking like? Yeah, I think like the key thing is like you can like you can trade program like agencies have great trading desks. They've invested a lot and they add a lot of value and actually control most of the spend in the ecosystem, right? Um, so I think as a managed service company, you've got to, if you're that specialist, you've got to have that extra better outcome, or you've got to be a step ahead of what the next new things are, what's the better way of doing stuff. That sort of consistent innovation you need to remain relevant. Is, is you live and die by that. And so your product development, how on top of you are of the new emerging areas within the business. So for me, it's about making sure A, your execution is that much better as a specialist, and B, that you're bringing new opportunities to clients faster than anyone else. And I, think if you, I don't think you can survive in this market as a managed service company if you're not you know, doing brilliant execution and, and, and you know, being a little bit ahead of the game in terms of bringing new opportunities to clients. Perfect. Nicely, succinctly put. <laughs> put. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I guess finally, if people want to speak to you, get in contact with you, hear more about what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Just call me, email me. Yeah, numbers Gorman <laughs> uh, at mikdigital.com, you know, just... Yeah, get in touch. I'm happy to speak to, to anyone. Perfect. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And uh, I hopefully I'll see you soon.